In gratitude for the gift of a new day, let us join in our call to worship. Almighty God, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. A thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, like a watch in the night. Teach us to count our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. We do try our best to give our lives to God through loving and serving all, but the truth is that none of us are perfect. As hard as we might try to follow God, all of us will fall and all of us will fail from time to time. 
But while we hold that as true, we hold as well to a greater truth. The God who is merciful and gracious is always ready to forgive us. And so in that spirit, let us join together in our unison prayer of confession. God of compassion and grace, we are thankful that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wanderings, deeper than all our sin. Forgive our careless attitudes toward your purposes, our refusal to relieve the suffering of others, our envy of those who have more than we have, our obsession with creating a life of constant pleasure, our indifference to the treasures of heaven, and our neglect of your wise and gracious law. Help us to change our way of life, that we may desire what is good, love what you love, and do what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. To all who turn from sin in sorrow, to all who turn to God in hope, this is God's word of grace. We are accepted, we are forgiven, and we are loved. So friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. Forgiven and loved by God, we do hope to extend that same grace to everyone that God has placed into our lives, starting with those who are around us. If you are joining us online today, I hope that you will take a moment to let us know of your presence with us, either using the QR code on your screen or the link that is just below. And we are truly grateful to have you joining us today, wherever you might be. And for those of us who are here in the sanctuary, I invite you to turn and greet those seated around you with a sign of Christ's peace in whatever way feels most comfortable to you, because we are grateful to be community together. So friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. So let us extend that peace to our neighbors. Morning and welcome to worship here at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this final Sunday of August. We are truly grateful to have you worshiping with us today, and whether this is your first time here or you are here with us almost every Sunday, we do hope that you will take a moment to find and fill out the information pans that you'll find at the end of each of your pews, letting us know if you are visiting or if you have any further questions about Fourth Church or if you'd like help getting better connected within this church community. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but summer is sadly drawing to a close. However, that also means that we are at the start of a new program year here at the church, beginning in two weeks on Sunday, September 10th. We do hope that you will take a few moments to look through the closing pages of your bulletin for further details about the wide variety of new and returning programs coming up this fall, along with ongoing volunteer opportunities and much, much more. September 10th does mark the beginning of our Sunday school gatherings, youth gatherings, and our 11 o'clock in the morning adult education classes for the year. We're also excited on that Sunday to launch our new worship schedule with two morning services at 9.30 and 11, along with a new afternoon service at 2 p.m. entitled The Gathering, 
which will also have weekly communion. That 9.30 in the morning service, as well as the 2 p.m. afternoon service, will be live streamed each Sunday and will be available for viewing anytime after that. And all three of those services will be located here in the sanctuary. And September 10th is also our annual Get Connected Sunday, which is a fantastic time to learn more about the wide variety of opportunities available to you here at Fourth Church, along with the joy and festivities of our neighborhood block party that will be both in Anderson Hall as well as the courtyard from 10.30 to 1.30, with live music, ice cream, a bounce house, pet blessing, and much more. In short, September 10th is a big day in the life of our congregation, and we do hope that you will be able to join us. And as we continue to look beyond the fall and even into some of our future hopes and dreams that we have as a congregation, the church's long-range planning task force asks that I share their gratitude for the hundreds of responses that they received to a recent survey, which had just wrapped up this past Thursday. The feedback and comments that you had shared will be invaluable as we discern who we are as a congregation today, along with who we are called to be in the future. So thank you. And finally, if you are coming into this space holding a prayer of concern or joy, you are invited to share that with one of our church's deacons at a time of prayer immediately after this service located in Stone Chapel, which is the small chapel you can find just to the right of the pulpit. And so if you'd like to be able to pray with the church deacon, you are more than welcome to do so after this service. So again, friends, welcome each of you here to worship at Fourth Church.
Let us pray. O oh God, by your Holy Spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to follow Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus, chapter 1, verses 8 through 20. Listen now for God's word to us. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Hua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. seated. Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Listen now for God's word to us today. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, 
by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Holy wisdom, holy word, Thanks be to God. Recently, I was at a parent-child camp with my oldest daughter, and we came to what has always been for me the most awkward request in making introductions in a group, where you're asked to tell one interesting fact about yourself. So searching my mind for something to say that I thought might not sound convoluted or conceited or simply a letdown, I think I blurted out something innocuous, like my favorite color is blue. <laughs> but if I could take it back, if I could have a do-over, I think I would say this, that I am a 40 grams of coffee to 535 grams of water kind of person because that's the ratio for a perfect cup of pour-over coffee. If you don't trust me, try it out yourself and let me know. Many of you here know that I have a affection, a deep affection for coffee and that you'll likely never find me too far from grasping a delicious cup of coffee. However, my relationship with coffee had a very rocky beginning. During my college years, I briefly had a job as a barista at a local marketplace, and I must confess I was mostly terrible at it. I clearly remember arriving at an ungodly hour my first day and swiftly being given the most complicated coffee orders possible. I was swamped with mocha frappuccinos, macchiatos, vanilla lattes, cardamom steamers. My mind barely recalling the instructions for making one before five more came calling. Overwhelmed, my brain felt like a, like a laptop with too many internet browser tabs left open. And in a moment of thoughtlessness, I, I pressed my unprotected finger to a hot steel lever of a milk steamer. And in an instant, that finger was seared, burned, and scarred. 
Beloved chef Anthony Bourdain, a patron saint of restaurant workers and travelers, once referred to his right forefinger, calloused by every knife he had ever held as a kind of secret handshake of his profession. You weren't a chef until you had one. Well, I never forgot the feeling of that burn, and my finger wore a scar from that episode for months. I guess I officially joined the club of restaurant and hospitality workers. But one way or another, we all have worn the experiences of our labors on our bodies. Bags under weary eyes, cuts and scrapes, or more hidden scars like trauma and anxiety. And they reveal a vital truth about what scripture calls vocation. Vocation is more than a job. It is a calling, which comes from the Latin word vocare. It is a purpose that beckons or calls to us that we must follow. A vocation can be a job for sure, but it also encompasses all manner of labor under heaven, paid or unpaid, recognized or not, to which God is the beginning and the end of our endeavors. And the truth of vocation is that it is a physical endeavor. When the prophet Ezekiel heard a call to ministry, he ate the scrolls of scripture with his teeth. When Abram and Sarai hear a call, they get their feet to walking to a far country. You cannot think your way into a calling. You must respond to it with your whole self, mind, spirit, and yes, your body. A few years ago, sociologist Carolyn Chen researched modern-day callings by following technology workers in Silicon Valley in California. She found that companies began speaking to their employees' bodies, minds, and souls' needs with incentives like three gourmet meals a day, yoga, and philosophy classes. The result, she thought, resembled a faith community with, quote, members who belong to a shared community and believe in a higher and transcendent goal. For some, work has brought belonging and identity, not found anywhere else. Though sometimes that comes with a price. In the Egypt of the book of Exodus, it is Pharaoh who requires those who toil under the sun to give him their body, mind, and spirit. Singer Dean Martin once said of his friend and fellow entertainer Frank Sinatra, a very larger-than-life personality, that it's Frank's world, we are all just living in it. In Egypt, it is Pharaoh's world, and everyone else just serves it. And to drive that point home, two midwives tasked with the business of tending to newborn bodies are asked to drown those same bodies when they no longer serve Pharaoh's supremacy. Now, Pharaoh's role as a supreme ruler carried with it some legitimate purposes, you might say, described in ancient Egyptian literature as bringing mat harmony, and repelling isfet, or chaos. 
closing chapters of Genesis cleverly portray how these economic and political responsibilities served as cover with Israelite Joseph's help for the confiscation of all property in Egypt into Pharaoh's hands and every body in Egypt under Pharaoh's bondage, serving his body. As Yuval Noah Harari reminds us, Pharaoh was just flesh and blood, but Pharaoh's body became transcendent. Pharaoh became a system of governance, a story Egyptians told one another, an image which kept them in fear. Pharaoh, you see, can take on many forms. European political philosopher Thomas Hobbes used the term Leviathan to describe what we've called Pharaoh. The Leviathan was the sovereign ruler who brought civic order, preventing life from becoming, quote, nasty, brutish, and short, unquote. Emerging when, to quote Hobbes, a multitude of men are made one person, and when they are by one man or one person represented, unquote. The cover of Hobbes' book on the subject depicted a giant medieval king wielding a scepter and sword, but composed of hundreds of individual little bodies representing his subjects. It's an image worthy of Pharaoh's own heart. As we read in scripture today, the apostle Paul was also fascinated with the image of the body. In fact, it became his primary metaphor for our relationship with Christ. For Paul, being a member of the body meant joining in a mission and identity larger than the self. To belong to the body of Christ was as demanding as membership in Pharaoh's body because it asked for your whole self, body, mind, and spirit. Which begs an important question for us today, how do you know when you're living in the body of Christ or that of Pharaoh? Not every workplace, relationship, or profession that asks for your whole self intends you harm, you see. Sometimes getting lost in your work is a pathway from selfishness to self-actualization. But how do you know when you tell the, to tell the difference between a body that wants to liberate you and one that wants to drain you like a battery until you're all used up? The body where, as the gospel puts it, you find your life by losing it versus the one where, as the band you 2 single with or without you put it, you give and you give and you give yourself away. When theologian Karl Barth looked at Paul's language about we being one body in Romans, he took the one body to mean fellowship or communion. The one, he said, is not one among others, not a cell in a larger organism, but simply the holy one, sanctus, sanctus, Latin word for holy. If this is true, 
I believe Paul is telling us here that other members of the body, our neighbors, are not cogs in a machine or means to an end, but a sacred presence representing God's own self. To trample over them or to uncritically accept Pharaoh's distorted picture of them is to turn our backs on God. So our response should be to them, as Paul suggests in 1 Corinthians, that if another member of the body suffers, we suffer with them. And if another is honored, we rejoice with them. I'm convinced that Shipra and Pua, living in the bowels of Pharaoh's Egypt, refused to be part of Pharaoh's body. Instead, they chose to see their neighbors, Hebrew women and their male children, as standing in for God. The Hebrew word for fear in this passage, yirah, a word, is a word more akin to awe and reverence than terror. Terror is what Pharaoh is after. Reverence is what God seeks. In the eyes of God, the other is the one who the despot Pharaoh is desperate for us not to love. Because of their yirah, their fear of God, their awe, the midwives whose gaze was formerly fixed on Pharaoh and his needs is lifted so that they may show empathy for their beloved neighbors. But that change is not without consequence. Earlier this summer, when Pastor Nanette was preaching about Jesus' parable of the sower, something she said struck me, that the sower in Jesus' story might be a terrible farmer, sowing seeds everywhere, not caring where, but sure was a very good God. Sometimes it's the right thing to be bad at the job that we have been given. In that sense, Shipra and Pua embodied what Dr. King preached, that sometimes we are called to be holy nonconformists. King meant what he said. When 60 years ago tomorrow, he joined with 250,000 compatriots for what was one of this nation's largest demonstrations in nonconformity a collective refusal to play the fool in Pharaoh's racialized body. At the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, there were singers present like Harry Belafonte and Tony Bennett, who died this summer. There were actors like Marlon Brando and Charlton Heston, whose politics would later diverge, but for one late summer day were simpatico. There was Bayard Rustin, the black gay brainchild of the march, and there were farmers and steelworkers, teachers and housekeepers and war veterans. And on that day, your title or the source of your paycheck hardly mattered. The crooners put down their lyrics, the actors their lines. The teachers put down their lesson plans, the factory workers their tools. Instead, each became a part of a new body and took up a new vocation. They all became walkers, demonstrators, putting their bodies on the line, making them living sacrifices within a body seeking justice, healing, and hope. 
they became the body that we in this sanctuary, in this community call the body of Christ. But there are those among us who still choose Pharaoh's body. Yesterday, and gunmen walked into a dollar store in Jacksonville, Florida, sending that community into terror and cutting short the lives of three beautiful black people. He was armed not only with, with weapons, with guns, but a racist manifesto that is Pharaoh's calling card. But I don't want to give him, and I don't want us to give him the last word. This summer, I found myself, along with some beautiful Fourth Church people, doing a fair amount of walking too. With fourth members, I marched in a hunger walk with Breakthrough Ministries in East Garfield Park here in Chicago, in the Pride Parade down Clark Street in Chicago, with St. Sabina Parish in Auburn Gresham on the south side of Chicago. I even marched in a 4th of July parade for the town of Skokie and ran into fourth members there. In each case, when I looked out at these neighbors and beloveds, not as Pharaoh would dictate, but as the holy other they truly are, I was astounded. Let me tell you, I saw LGBTQ neighbors cheering for Christians who would dare walk the streets of their neighborhoods sharing a gospel of love and faithfulness with conviction. I walked with residents in East Garfield Park who tended with loving devotion to empty lots and wanted to build playgrounds and urban farms. I walked with mothers in Auburn Gresham who take pride in the successes of their children and their own degrees in a neighborhood where Pharaoh tells us to count these people out. In the community I call home, I saw children of every hue, cultural background, and religious background cheering with glee on a 4th of July waving flags for a country that is not quite yet, but perhaps can be consonant with the beloved community. These glimpses of the Holy Other made me say, yes, they are worth it. They are worthy of our struggle, worth the awkwardness of not knowing how to talk about race or money, worth the patient listening that takes hours before a few seconds or a minute of a breakthrough, worth the stretching of our own dollars and time, dollars and time we aren't sure we have. This dream, those holy others are worth it. Over the course of our lives, we are regularly confronted with the question in whose body we will seek membership, to whom will we give our life, our best, our all? To whom will we entrust the treasures within our souls? Will it be Pharaoh's systems and schemes and unending appetites? 
Or will it be God and God's beloved community? Now more than ever, the question raises itself in our families and households, our neighborhoods, our politics, our economics, our stewardship of the planet itself. My prayer is that each of us, each of you, might have such a vision of your neighbors, our neighbors, so that we might choose the right body. And at the end of the day, you and I may say then, come what may, it is worth it. Amen. Let us remain standing as we affirm what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. 
he descended into hell. On the third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And let us pray. Dear God, ours is a world of wonder and worry these days. Yes, we experience the wonder of human love, of caring beyond what is expected, of grace, sheer grace, in the rising of the sun and its setting. We find ourselves lost in wonder, love, and praise, as the hymn declares, and our hearts brim at the beauty of your holiness, O Christ, exhibited in the smear of light that crosses our day in the abundance of this good earth. And most precious spirit, we think of the way that our hearts rise up when we hear the words of Dr. King when some 60 years ago he stood before a quarter million people and delivered his I Have a Dream speech in advocacy for those who needed jobs, who held jobs that brought little freedom. When we hear his words ringing down from the halls of power in Washington, we realize with firm conviction that the truth he spoke was your truth, O God. Yes, Brother Martin followed your call to usher in a vision for your freedom for all your children, O God. And we give thanks on this day that his dream is carried forward in our dream of this congregation as a place where every child of yours, most precious Lord, would be given a chance for fullness of life. But dear God, we live in times when truth and justice give way to mistrust and sin. Our halls of justice are riddled with too much personal expediency. We veer into cynicism and turning away because we're either stunned by the unruliness or give up because we don't see a way out. Guide us, O thou great Jehovah, as we are often pilgrims in a barren land. Give us a zeal for truth, your truth, which rings with peace and harmony, joy and hope. Take away from us the love of self-righteousness and fill us with your blessed assurance that you are with us, sustaining us, no matter the threat, no matter the worry, no matter the sweeping of way of that which we think gives peace. Let us hear your voice, O God, through the cries of the hurting ones in our lives, for those who grieve this day in loss by gun violence. Let us see Christ in those who are sorry and sad and hungry and thirsty and naked and in prison. 
We pray for ones who are lost, who await good news, who long for holy balm. Equip us by your grace to be animated by the Holy Spirit, yes, the holiest spirit, to breathe peace, healing, justice, daring dreams, and high hopes into this, your world, O God. We pray this and much more in the strong name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What does it mean to give? Yes, when we give each Sunday, what does it mean? Well, it means that a child will have a backpack to take to school. It means that a person living with homelessness will have a sandwich or a shower. It means that this beautiful sanctuary will be cool or warm, shimmering with light, ready for the worship of God through proclamation, music, communal gathering, and hospitality to neighbor. And it means that our offering, large or small, will join with others to extend what we know that God loves this world and gives to us through the wonder of Jesus Christ. This day you may give online, in the sanctuary, by mail, or through Venmo. Give this day with generosity and deep gratitude. Our morning offering will now be received.
Let us join together in the prayer of dedication. God of grace and God of glory, you pour your strength and love into our lives. As we dedicate this offering today, we dedicate our lives to your service in this world, your world. Pray, amen. Friends, go out into this world in peace, being God's body, God's beloved community, offering all who you encounter, every holy other, justice, peace, hope, and love. And as you do so, may Christ go behind you to protect you from every harm. May Christ go beneath you to support you through every trial. May Christ walk beside you to befriend you on the journey to wholeness and the beloved community. And may Christ go ahead of you to mark the path this day and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>